Um, some quick housekeeping business, and then we're going to jump in. Uh, next week, we have, if you weren't here at the very beginning, you, you didn't hear Dan mention this in the announcements. Next week, we have Liz Diddy preaching. She's an author and a friend of some people in our congregation. She wrote a book called God's Many Voices, and it's about hearing God. She's going to be continuing our series in 1 Kings chapter 19, but it was important for me to be able to tell you she's coming next week because some of you have grown up in uh, traditions where you didn't see a lot of females preaching on stage, and maybe there's some things that you struggle with in that. Um, I want you to know, I'll, I'll be up here afterwards and would love the chance to have a conversation with you, or we can trade some emails and get together sometime this week if that's something you'd like. Secondly, um, this morning we're going to be talking about depression, we're going to be talking about suicidal ideation, we're going to be talking about sort of the depths of human emotion and despair. And I just want you to know if that's sort of a, a trigger point for you, um, that that's coming, okay? So um, let's pray and we're going to jump in. Jesus, meet with us, we pray. Maybe better said, open our hearts that we would meet with you. We know, we know that you have a word for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What do you do... After you've been miraculously fed by ravens, they brought you little cakes in the desert. In the middle of a drought, you had a brook that gave you enough to drink. You saw oil and flour not run out, miraculously multiplied over and over and over again. God's provision that's unmistakable. Uh, you saw somebody raised from the dead because you prayed and laid down on this young boy and he came back to life. And then you stand on Mount Carmel and you call down fire from heaven and it comes down. Okay, now just a quick survey. How many, have done, how many of you have done any of those things? Okay, me neither. Like, what do you do after that? After that scorched earth is still breathing up the remnant of that fire? Where you see these prophets that are slaughtered in this valley. I mean, this is when, if you're Elijah, you have people hoist you up on their shoulders and carry you down the mountain, right? This is where you cue the confetti for the Super Bowl parade. I mean, this is where there's high fives and there's no going back. This is where you beat your chest and you go, that, that's my God. Only that's not what happened. And as high as Elijah was on that hill, he drops almost immediately to the valley. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have your Bible, let's turn there. We're going to see more of the 
human, frail side of Elijah this morning, and I think maybe we can relate to that side of him a little bit better than we can relate to the side that calls down fire from heaven and sees it happen. I don't know. Just me. Verse 1 of chapter 19, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. And you'll remember if you've been here over the last few weeks, Jezebel is Elijah's wicked wife. She's a worshiper of Baal. She's brought that worship to Israel, the northern kingdom. She's killed many of the prophets of Yahweh. She's a bloodthirsty, vindictive, violent woman. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods, those gods that were silent, those gods that weren't able to produce fire, those gods that Yahweh was more powerful than, those gods, may they deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And then Elijah said, well, my God, raised the dead, and my God called down fire from heaven, and my God is with me, and my God is for me, and you're not going to tell me what to do because my God is greater, my God is stronger, my God is higher than any other, right? Like, that's what I expect, and that's what I hope for from one of the ancient prophets of Israel, like one of these guys that we still name kids after. That's what I expect. Verse 3, and Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Wait, what? You just saw God called on fire from heaven, dude. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush or broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I've had, I've had enough. You ever been at that place? I've just, I've just had enough. I've had enough of the pain. I've had enough of the doubt had enough of the questions. I've had enough of the cloud that just seems to to sit there. God, I've had enough. And yet, this is one of the prophets of Israel. This is one of the, the heroes of the faith. Like one of the people we look to and go, we should be more like Elijah. And what he says in this text is, I'd rather die. God, just come kill me now. I mean, as much as he's been on the mountain and he's seen God work, now he's in the valley of the shadow of death. And for some of us, maybe there's some cognitive dissonance there because maybe we grew up in a church culture that said, well, faith is like the magic blue pill. And when you take it, every one of your troubles goes away. And if you're depressed, if you're upset, Well, all that means is you're just not trusting Jesus enough. And so here's what happens then. We start to play this game with ourselves where we believe that the people in the Bible were sort of different than us. And if we do struggle with things like depression and if we struggle with things like suicidal ideation and if we've walked through or are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, this becomes an unsafe place to talk about it. 
And the place where we should find hope, we can't because we're unwilling to share the deepest parts of our pain and the deepest parts of ourself. I want you to hear as clearly as I can say it this morning, all throughout the scriptures, we see people who are faithful followers of God struggling with mental health issues. We see people all throughout the scriptures who see God move mightily and then go, God, I don't even want to live anymore. See Jonah, for example. See David, for example. See the apostle Paul, for example. He says, after his ministry in Asia, he says, we were under such great pressure. Life was so hard there, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life itself. And it breaks my heart that somehow, some way, over the course of time, the church has become an unsafe place to say, I'm not okay. I read a blog this week entitled, Proverbs and Prozac. And this woman writes about her journey there, and here's what she says. She said, I joined a Bible study group at church. And the leader was a well-respected, longtime member of the church. And when the topic of depression came up, her response was, if you're truly a Christian, you should never be depressed. You have no need for antidepressants. You have Jesus. She writes, she goes on to say, with comments and attitudes like that, it's no wonder we put on our church masks on Sunday morning. We end up keeping secrets, fearing we're going to be judged as not good enough or not a real Christian. My son has this unique ability to get the words of songs wrong in the most beautiful ways. We were riding in the car the other day, and I don't know where he heard Spice Girls. I can only assume it's from his mom, Kelly. Okay, or... <laughs> but he is singing in the car. He's singing, if you want to be my lover, you've got to get rid of my friends. I'm like, it's not the words. It's not the words. But maybe my favorite of all time is um, uh, that song, Story of My Life. And he sings, story of my life, a cucumber. I'm like, a cucumber? This song's not about vegetables. Like, what? Lean in for a moment. I think we've gotten the words to this song wrong. I think we've gotten the words to this song wrong. That we've said that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to have it all together. The only problem with that is the people that told us about Jesus didn't have it all together. And so I just want you to know, um, if you're here today and you struggle with mental illness, if you've wrestled through depression, if you've even had thoughts of taking your own life, one, I want you to know, we see you. This is a safe place. We're for you. We love you. You do not have to have it all together to be welcomed here. It's okay to not be okay. And I know for some of you, it was a struggle just to get out of bed this morning, to get your clothes on, to put one foot in front of the other, to decide I'm going to go after it again. I know for some of you, walking in the doors of a place like this just raises your fear, raises your anxiety. Your heart beats fast the entire time you're in here. I just want you to know I'm proud of you. Good job. And we see you, and we love you, and we care about you. 
and it's a safe place to not be okay. One of the greatest preachers the church has ever known, Charles Spurgeon, very publicly wrestled with depression. Here's what he wrote. He said, fits of depression come over the most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we are at intervals cast down. The strong not always vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. It does, it happens to a lot of us. I mean, the latest statistics would suggest that somewhere between 15 and 20% of adults in America struggle with or will struggle with depression of some sort. And there's a number of different way, reasons for that. But if you hear nothing else from me, from me today, please hear me say that there's no simple answer for depression, okay? There's no simple, like, this is why, and there's just one thing. It's, it's way more complicated than that. But oftentimes, depression leads to this gloom, this sadness, this type of feeling of, of doom where we don't see any way out. And so just like Elijah, there's some people who have said, I've had enough. And instead of saying to God, take my life, they've taken their own. And suicide is the 10th leading cause for death in America today. But, but, but listen to this. It's the leading cause for death of people ages 10 through 24. Okay, so let that, let's, let that sit on us for a second, you guys. That for our middle schoolers and our high schoolers and our college students, the leading cause for death amongst ages 10 to 24 is suicide. I mentioned that I was going to be talking on this subject, and I had a friend text me and say, my brother took his life August 20th of this year. I had somebody after first service come up and say, my son took his own life a few years ago. Um, if you live in this community, you know that Arapaho High School has been hit especially hard. They've had two students take their own lives in the first few months of school. You guys, this is an epidemic an epidemic. And if it doesn't break our hearts as the church, then we're not adequately valuing the image of God that he's placed in every single human being that walks the face of this earth. And so we've got to enter into that pain a little bit this morning. And I, and I feel like God sent me on a mission. Um, one is to break the silence, okay? To say that as a church, these are things that we're going to talk about, we need to talk about, we cannot be silent on one of the most important issues of our day and our time, and we will not be. The first is to break the silence, the second is to bring hope. Because I'm convinced that God has designed us for life and life abundant, and that's not easy, but it's possible. Okay? And so if you feel like you're at the end of your rope today, I, I can't say how glad I am that you're here. And I know my words can't change anybody, but I believe that the Spirit of God is living and active and at work in this place today, and I'm praying, I'm praying that you get a word of hope today. And what the scriptures are going to show us through Elijah's life and struggle with depression and suicidal ideation is this, we are holistic beings. We're physical, spiritual, emotional, cognitive beings, and it all matters and we've got to learn how to fight. I'm going to learn how to fight for our wholeness. 
I'm so glad that we're a church that hosts things like Overcome Groups and My Quiet Cave that wrestle through uh, mental illness issues, mental health issues. I'm so glad that we have Celebrate Recovery that we've said this is so important to us, and it is as a church, that we have counseling available for people, that we have um, mentoring. I'm so glad that we've said we want to be a church that teaches people how to fight for their wholeness, for their life, for their vitality. And in this text, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see a few things that Elijah runs up against that we can see in our life too, that are either, either threats to our wholeness or, or they are pathways to flourishing, okay? It's the same thing, but it just depends on what we do with it. And look with me, 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah's life and his story. Here's what the scriptures say. Elijah was afraid, sorry, I'm a little bit worked up today, okay? Um, I just feel like God has a word for us, and I feel like it's really important. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba in Judah, and he left his servant there. And he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came to a broom bush. He sat down there, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, he said, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. There's two things that start to stand out to me. One, Elijah was afraid, and Elijah looks at his life, and he starts to look at it in comparison to other people. Here's what Elijah's doing. Elijah's starting to tell himself a story. God, you came through once, but I'm not sure you'll come through again. God, I'm high up on this mountain, and I'm not sure I can stay there. God, you've done miracles, and I've seen you work mightily, but God, what's going to happen tomorrow? And sure, sure, I've seen you defeat Baal, but have you seen Jezebel? Right? And for Elijah, his greatest success, catch this, his greatest accomplishment leads almost immediately to this feeling of desperation. As much as he's on the mountain, he's almost immediately in the valley. (laughs) And Baal couldn't take Elijah out, but Elijah could sure take himself out. And he started to do so with the stories that he told himself. What he was thinking in his mind. See, the most powerful enemy you may face probably won't come from the outside. It'll come from the inside. Okay, let, me, let me just say that again. The most powerful enemy you face probably will not come from the outside. It will come from the inside. It will be the story that you start to tell yourself. Elijah's story is twofold. Elijah was, say it with me, church, afraid. Afraid. Yeah, he's afraid of Jezebel. He's afraid she's going to take him down. And so notice how fear leads him to anxiety. And he starts to just react. He starts to get a little bit like what we might call manic. And and notice how illogical his line of thinking is. God, I'm so afraid that I'm going to die that I want you to kill me. That's what he says, right? And that's the effect of fear that leads to anxiety. It's the story that we're telling ourselves. 
God, there's no way you could move in this. There's no way you're going to come through. God, you must not love me enough to defeat Jezebel. I thought that's the game plan we have, but we're not moving forward from there. God, I don't see you. God, I don't feel you. God, I don't hear you. God, I don't matter to you. God, you've abandoned me, right? And this is the story we often start to tell ourselves. But here's the second thing he says. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. What's he doing? He's, he's comparing himself to others. Like, where did Elijah get the idea that he had to be better? Where did Elijah, I mean, they, very few of them saw fire rain down from heaven, but nonetheless, where did Elijah get the idea that in order to be used by God, he had to be the best, the brightest, one without failure, one without flaw? Where did Elijah get this idea? And he does what so many of us do. He starts to go down this downward spiral because he's looking at everybody else, comparing himself to them, and going, God, why? God, where are you? God, I'm not as pretty as her. God, I'm not as successful as him. I'm not where I should be at my age. I'm not as good of a mom or as good of a dad as that person. I don't have good relationships or I don't have good relationships with my kids and I'm just at a distance from them and look at everybody else. I'm not as happy, not as wealthy, not as successful as I think I should be. And it's a story we tell. Um, will you just, just receive this for one moment? You are telling yourself a story. All of us are. In fact, we turn to the person next to you and say, you're telling yourself a story. You're telling yourself a story. The question is simply, is it a true story? Is it true? And think of how hard. If comparison was hard back in the ancient world, how difficult is it in a selfie generation or in a day and age where on social media we broadcast all of our successes and conceal all of our failures? It's so easy to be going down that rabbit hole of comparison, isn't it? Um, my friend Eddie, who was here first service, he has a saying he'll repeat often. He says, normal is just a setting on the dryer. That's all it is. It's a setting on the dryer. There's no such thing as a, quote, normal person. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not normal. You're not normal. None of us are. Here's the way the scriptures give us this impartation. It says, therefore, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for everyone else. That's the way we feel about it sometimes, isn't it? The race that's marked out for you. Your situation, your wiring, your capabilities, your gifting, your history, your you fill in the blank, run your race. You're not running anybody else's race. But we all have stories we tell ourselves that can be toxic, that can be destructive. I'm not good enough. I'll never add up. I mean, we, we, we tell ourselves these stories all the time. The question becomes, what do we do about that? Two things, two things. 
um, one. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his sermons on spiritual depression, talks about this. It's phenomenal. I'd never seen it this way before, but here's the way he phrases it. He says, we've got to start talking to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves. That voice that goes on in your head, you're a failure, you're never going to add up, everybody's always going to hate you, you're always going to be lonely, always, never, always, never, blah, 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 blah. We've got to learn how to talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. And he points to Psalm chapter 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? What's the psalmist doing? He's preaching to himself. I hope that this is not the only preaching you hear all week. I hope you learn how to preach to yourself. You're loved by God. You are called by him. You're made holy. You are set apart in the heavenlies, blessed with every spiritual blessing. You need to learn how to preach to yourself a little bit. But here's the other thing. We've got to learn how to start thinking about what we're thinking about. And that may seem twisted, But all I would say to you is it's biblical. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. This is all over the scriptures, but I'm just going to choose a few verses here to point this out to you. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their, say it with me, minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. There's the, the toxic narrative. Where does it lead? death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. It's why the Apostle Paul, uh, towards the end of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is going to say to be transformed by, say it with me, church, renewing of your mind. So let's not be so encapsulated in cliche-driven Christianity that we affirm these verses and maybe memorize these verses, but don't practice these verses. There's a huge trend towards mindfulness in our culture, in our day and time today. And to that I say, amen. It's biblical. They're just picking up on what the scriptures have always been telling us, but we've just been really terrible at actually practicing. Think about what you're thinking about. And maybe you go, well, Paulson, how do I do that? Um, Let me just give you four ways you can do that. Four things you can do, okay? And these are an adaptation from Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who's a cognitive neuroscientist, and through research, she found that it is possible to retrain your brain. It's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. And so here's what you might start to do. You might start for just a few minutes every day to start thinking about what you're thinking about. And then write it down. Like, assume no one's going to find this journal, though. Maybe hide it. Like, it should be, you should be honest enough that it would be embarrassing if anybody did find it, okay? Like, don't filter. Don't think, ooh, I shouldn't think that. And so you don't write it down. If you're thinking it, write it down. Write down the toxic narrative. Get it out in the open because when it starts to get into the light, it begins to lose its power, okay? Then read what you wrote. And you may go, well, I'm a little bit of a mess, and I should find a counselor, or I'm in big trouble. I mean, that's what, that's what you might find out. And then here's what, what Dr. Carolyn Leaf says, choose one small step towards health, towards healing. You got in your, on your way in, one of our service hosts handed you a little um, 
bookmark. Will you just take that out for a second? This is intended to be a tool for you to use to remind you of who you are in Christ. I'm accepted, I'm secure, I'm significant. And you may go, Ryan, this is positive thinking. And what I want to tell you is this is biblical thinking. If biblical thinking happens to be positive, count me in. Right? Like, why would we think that we should be delivered a toxic narrative by a God who loves us and has put his image inside each one of us? That's twisted. Okay? And so part of untangling our insides and de-circuiting that narrative that plays is replacing it with, with truth. And here's a lean in for a second, and if you're taking notes, write this down. If the enemy's greatest weapon is lies, your greatest defense is truth. The enemy's greatest weapon is lies. Your greatest defense is truth. And so when you start to believe those toxic narratives, you, you have to go, no, no, no. The God of the universe who created me, who wove me together in my mother's womb, who loves me, who rejoices over me with singing, who my name is engraved on the palm of his hands, has come to my rescue in the person and work of Jesus, has given himself on the cross, buried my sin, walked out with new life, given it to me, and I am holy, precious, and loved in his sight. Preach to yourself. But that's not all. Because we're holistic beings, remember? It's not just the thoughts that we think and the stories that we tell. Verse 5. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. Well, yeah. I mean, Elijah has just had this spiritual outpouring. He's been just hit with fear and the stories. And what does he want to do? Probably exactly what he needs to do. He's go get some sleep. He falls asleep, but he's out in the middle of nowhere. He's in the wilderness, and he falls asleep under a bush. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. I mean, isn't that, can we just be honest, isn't that a little bit disappointing? If an angel comes to you and says, hey, um, you need to eat. Like, I was really hoping from some, like, impartation from heaven, like, you are Elijah Pull up your bootstraps. You've seen God do great things. You will see God do great things again. Elijah, keep going. Keep moving. And he gets, hey, you should probably eat something. I don't know. It's just me. Just me. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. You're like, he's probably like, I really wanted a burrito, some meat, something, but whatever. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. And an angel of the Lord came to him a second time. Somebody say a second time. And touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days, 40 nights, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I love that when God shows up, here's what he does. He addresses Elijah's physical needs because we are holistic beings and our bodies matter. The bodies we inhabit matter. Just like the stories we tell ourselves, our bodies matter. You and your body are inseparable, okay? You aren't human without your body. But just step back for a moment and think about how controversial that statement is. 
Because ironically, we live in a day and time where there's large spread disregard and disrespect for our body. I mean, it's exhibited a little bit in our conversation in our culture about gender right now. But the real me is, real, is deeper down inside. And that was also going around in the early church. You need to know that. It was a heresy that they identified. They, they called Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism said was, um, spirit is good, matter is evil. Um, the spirit is what you want to feed. Who cares what you do with your body? Who cares how you treat yourself? In fact, beat your body down so that your spirit can become more alive. And it's an absolute lie from the pit of hell. And Christianity has been speaking into it since day one. Christianity is the most materialistic of any religion. We believe that matter matters. We believe that matter matters so much and that God is so fond of his creation of the physical body that our destiny is not as, as disembodied spiritual spirits floating around on a cloud somewhere. Our destiny is as resurrected physical beings on a renewed earth. God will never be done with his project of matter. And all that applies because to Elijah, you know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Some of you that have never taken notes before in like years here went, eh, all right, I can handle that. Take a nap. Some of you also wrote it down to show your spouse later on today, right? Like they, Ryan said, take, yeah, he, he goes and he sleeps. He should sleep, right? Because there, and you, if you want to write this down, you can, but there's four, usually four triggers for us to step into unhealthy situations. When we're hungry, when we're angry, or hangry, I guess we can combine those two, when we're lonely, and when we're tired. Halt. They're physical. But he also, he says, get something to eat, and he says to him, get up. Elijah, you're not going to Horeb yet, okay? But what I need you to do is I need you to get up, and I need you to start moving. Like, let's get some of those endorphins rolling, because you're a physical being in addition to being a spiritual being. And so for some of you, the best thing you can do for your mental health is get exercise, Take care of your physical body. For me, I've told the story before, but um, a few years ago, um, I, I felt like if I paused that there was, or laid down, that there was an elephant that came and firmly planted himself on my chest. And I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. And um, so I went to the doctor to say, am I, am I dying? <laughs> Tell me if I am. Right? And he said, no, I think you're just stressed out. You need to get some exercise. So I did. And I started running. And so for me, going running four to five times a week isn't so that I look amazing. Somebody say, praise Jesus. Okay? It's, <laughs> it's so that I don't have a heart attack and die at an early age. And it's so that I can do something with my stress that I carry. And I just want to, I tell you that to say that maybe the best thing you can do is get out and go on a walk every day, or maybe start eating a little bit healthier. Your gut affects your brain. Your brain is a part of your body. But here, I want to say this as clearly as I can, okay? If you come to me and tell me that you have cancer, 
I'm going to take your hands. I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to tell you that I love you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to invite you to come to our elders so that they can point, put oil on you, anoint you, and pray over you. And I'm going to tell you to start chemo. Both. It's not either or. And for a long time in the church, we've had this narrative that says, if you take medicine because your mental health is off, there's something wrong with you, you've got to hide that, you're not welcome here. As your pastor, I want to say as clearly as I can, if a doctor has prescribed you meds for your mental health, take them. If they're not working, Take them and go visit your doctor to try to get something that does work, but don't just stop taking it cold turkey. Your brain is a part of your body, and your brain matters. I feel like I should have just had a soapbox up here the whole service. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So there's the stories we tell in our mind. There's our physical bodies, and then look at what happens here. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, and he left his servant there. Like, why would you leave a guy? You're, you're in the depths. And this person has been by your side. He's been there. He's seen God move. He's seen God work. He's lifted your arms up. And Elijah leaves his servant there. See what's going on? Is not only is he telling himself a story, not only is he physically depleted, but relationally he's starting to say, I'm not letting anybody close to me. And when we start to get into these toxic thought patterns, one of the first things we do is we believe the lie that we can't tell anybody how dark it is and how difficult it is and how painful it is. And if people really knew, they wouldn't want to be around me anyway. So it's safer to just send them away, even if they care about us and even if they love us. So Elijah gets to, gets to this point and he says to God, I'm the only one left, which isn't true but he feels like it's true. I'm the only one left. See, we're wired for love, but what we often learn is fear, and we start to create distance where God designed us to walk in intimacy. There's this really interesting um, juxtaposition. At the beginning of Elijah's life, he's led by God into the wilderness for solitude and strengthening. And when Elijah's operating in fear and on the run and telling himself stories, he runs into the wilderness to get isolation. Solitude and isolation are two very different things. Solitude's actually designed for intimacy with God where we can be led back into relationship with others. Isolation is running in fear because we believe that we'll actually be known. But please notice when the enemy comes to attack Eve, the very first thing he does is make sure that she is what? Alone. Coincidence? No. No. See, all of this contributes to our mental health. The stories we tell, the bodies we live in, and the distance that we often create. I want to tell you, look up at me for a second. If you're here today and you're lonely, I want to tell you you're not alone. You are deeply and dearly loved here. 
If this is your first time at South One, way to pick a great Sunday to come. Um, but I just want you to know that we have big arms here that we would love to wrap around you. We, would, we have small groups we'd love to help you get plugged in, mentors we'd love to connect you with, friends we'd love to help you find. You may feel lonely, but you are dearly loved by us and by the God of the universe. Please do not believe the enemy's lie that isolation is the way to get what you want. It's actually the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. I love the fact that I get the chance to be in community with a church that's full of people who are really brave. And this is a difficult subject. Depression, suicidal ideation is a t- difficult thing to talk about. Um, but um, Ellen Rosenberger, who's one of our daily writers, and she's written two books, and she's um, Luke Rosenberger's wife, and Luke helps run our young adult ministry, was vulnerable enough to share her story and her battle with depression. And I want you to watch her story now. I think it'll be an encouragement to you. Depression. Here I am at a Christian school overseas teaching. So how can, you know, a Christian teacher be depressed and be coming to, to pour into students every day when she's really struggling internally? Well, my name is Ellen Rosenberger, and I've been at South uh, for a little over two years now. I had grown up in the church. Uh, my parents were missionaries. I grew up as a missionary kid in Bolivia. Good Christian, went to a Christian university, and I really had this concept of, well, I really just need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. Um, I need to figure this out. And so I tried those things, and it almost backfired because it caused more anxiety and more depression and more guilt that I wasn't doing well, and I was stuck in depression, and I didn't want anyone to know about it. All those internal dialogues of, you have to be a certain way, you have to live up to a standard in this Christian community, this Christian world, to measure up and be accepted by others, and actually, more importantly, accepted by God, and loved by God and seen by Him. I think all those compounded uh, my depression and made it almost impossible. It felt, at the time, impossible to get out of. I had never, ever thought of suicide before that moment, and when I did, it scared me. So many different components helped me through it, through people showing me that um, God saw every tiny, tiny detail of my life down to the moment where I, you know, had to call a friend and say, I just need you to tell me right now that God loves me and He sees me. They were the ones to take me and have me meet with a doctor. I had, I'd never, growing up on the mission field, heard of anyone taking medication. My friends kind of coached me through that and just said, hey, it's okay, we've done all these other measures. Like that was what my body needed at the time. And it wasn't just through praying harder or studying the Bible harder, it was through physical things, sleep and exercise and you know, feeding my body. And I learned that there's nowhere, no place, no place too dark I could go, that God's spirit, his presence would not be. And he met me in my depression and he gave me resources and tools to get out of it. And it was, no, I see you in your darkest moment and I still wanna be with you. And those friends modeled that to me, that that was what they were able to do. And that was, because that's what Jesus does to us. Once I got through that, first depressive episode, I was so grateful, overjoyed, um, just 
praising God for the victory he'd given me and all the many lessons I'd learned. And so I was depression free for like four years. We're pregnant with our first child. I'd heard about baby blues, but I didn't really think about it until then. Then I, I had it. And so I experienced depression in a whole new way. Um, got postpartum depression two more times. So um, my husband would tirelessly um, tell me truth, pray truth over me, but not leave it there. He would also go on runs with me. He would uh, make sure we're eating right and getting enough sleep. And so uh, I'm very thankful. There's um, not everyone has that opportunity and that support system to help them through a depress depressive episode. It reminded me we can't just sit and bank on previous victories to get us through life. I see Christians as real people, not um, kind of how, how I grew up thinking like we have to be a certain standard. The physical body does matter. Everything's connected, our spiritual lives, our physical lives, and it's not just um, get better at our spiritual walk and we'll get out of this depression. A lot of it is physical. How would you advise someone who's like in that season right now? And it does not have to end in pain or in the end of your life. There is hope, there is light, there is joy, there's freedom. There's life and there's life abundant. <clears throat> because Jesus is the giver of life and he wants so much for us, for our minds, for our bodies. And there's so many lies that I have been trapped in before and have been liberated of and it takes hard work it takes community it takes some basic steps but it's possible and that's what I think someone needs to hear in that moment is that God sees you other people see you and there's life to be had it doesn't have to end in tragedy or pain or um but I've been there. I've, I've felt like this is never, ever going to get better. But it's not true. It does. And it can. So. Can you help me say thank you to Ellen? Change is possible, but it's not easy. And I love the way that Ellen put that. It, it may not be fast but it's possible, it's possible. So in closing, if you're wondering, what do I do with this? Um, I wanna encourage you to pursue awareness. What's going on in your head? Use that easy four-step process. What's going on? Get it out. Ask Jesus to speak into it, he will. If you're not okay today, I want to encourage you, this, maybe this is the day, maybe this is the hundredth day, but that you tell somebody, this is a safe place to not be okay. And I want to encourage you, when we get stuff out into the light, it starts to get malleable, it starts to get weaker, and even our thoughts and the lies that we believe start to get pliable as they get into the light. Tell somebody, our prayer team's going to be up here after the service, our elders, we would love to pray over you. 
Because we believe that Jesus wants to speak into this area of our lives too. Speaking up might be reaching out this week to say, I, I need to get into counseling or I need to start going to celebrate recovery. Speak up. Make a plan. It may be imperfect. It will be imperfect. And that's okay. You can change it, but make one. Make one. Maybe it's a, you start exercising. You reach out for counseling. We have some resources in the back. Or you just reach out to a friend. Maybe it's one step towards not, not being isolated anymore. You go, I'm not ready for just full-on community. Maybe you're ready for coffee, though. Okay? Maybe you're ready for texting somebody that you care about and that you love. And then finally, I just want to encourage you as your pastor to believe what the scriptures say about you. God sees you. His eye is on the sparrow. Certainly it's on you, single mom that is just beating yourself up because you feel like you're not good enough. That person where you walk through abuse and you walk through hell at an early age and that just keeps coming up. I just want you to know that God sees you, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he is for you. For the person who feels like that cloud just never seems to get any lighter or it just is so dark and all-encompassing, I just want you to know he cares for you. He says to Elijah, listen, the journey's too much for you, Elijah. We got more in front than is what lies behind. And so, Elijah, I'm going to fill into you because I've got a future for you. And he does for you too. He does for you too. I'd encourage you, if you're anything like me, maybe you just stick this little bookmark in your Bible to remember all the stuff God says about you. It's true. And it's your greatest defense against the lies of the enemy that would love to destroy your soul. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing one last song or part of a song today. And I don't know where this all hits you. Maybe it's just, man, we live in a neighborhood. We live in a community that's been hit by this subject. Or maybe it's something you wrestle with personally. Jesus wants to speak into it. So, Lord, we ask that you would, that you'd speak to us. Even as we sing this song, is there one line, one phrase that you just want to drive home for us to hear this morning? Speak, we pray, in Jesus' name.